All right. Please open your Bible. And this morning we are in Corinthians chapter 13. We'll do a little bit of a recap. Uh, We'll have a look at the passage. We're going to start at the end and work our way back towards the start. Um, And at one point, I'm going to send someone out to go and grab the kids because in all the preparation, my my wife was on my case saying, Bob, it'd be really great for the kids to to be hearing this. And then Alicia said the same thing this morning. So we're going to get the kids back in. Corinthians chapter 12. Um, I won't recap all the the culture stuff which we've been looking at. We've had a look at these two different words that turn up in Christian history as different groups of Christians and different experiences have tried to deal with what they experience and what they don't experience of these these gifts, particularly some of the ones that seem a little bit more weird or a little bit more out there, like speaking in tongues and prophecy and interpretation of tongues and words of knowledge and some of that sort of stuff in the New Testament. So we went through some of the history of that, some of the experiences people have had, and we mentioned these two words, that one word is cessationist, that these things have ceased with the, with the apostles or with the closing of, uh, of what we believe is the canon of Scripture, and that others would be a continuationist position, that these things have, have continued, even if we haven't immediately encountered them, the Holy Spirit has not stopped using these tools. So we did a little bit of history We talked a little bit about our context here. Um, And then, where are we here? We talked about diversity and that the Holy Spirit is able to give any person any gift that he wants. I was reminded this last week of of a uh, a word picture, which I heard years ago, that really helped me with this, is that um, in some businesses where you need to have keys to different properties or different doors or this sort of stuff, people will have a key locker. We have one at the church here, which has got different keys in it. Everyone know what I'm talking about when I say a key locker? It usually screws to the wall, it's got a little door, and inside of it you hang all of your keys up. But you only need one key to get access to all the rest of the keys. And the Holy Spirit is like that when we talk about the gifts. is to go, if the Holy Spirit is in you, then you've got the master key, and he's allowed to use any gift that he wants to. He's allowed to lock up or unlock anything at any time, but we actually only need to be focusing on the fact that we have the Holy Spirit in us and to be willing and in submission to him to say actually anything that he wants to minister through us, um, diversely he's allowed to do. And we talked about the way that this is actually the identity of God at work in us. This is what we were created to experience because the Father and the Son and the Spirit are of the same essence and the same will, but they are distinct and they, and they do different things. They defer to one another. They give each other glory. They lift each other up. And we talked about these words of Paul that when one part of the body is honored, all of the body is honored. When one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. And that this is actually part of God's work of restoration that we are because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the diversity of gifts, when that is functioning in a healthy way, we are experiencing something of a greater level of what we were created for. There is actually something of the identity and the image of God that is flowing through the body. And then Paul gets the very end of what we have as chapter 12. We know that when it was first written as a letter, there weren't chapter and verse divisions. And Paul has this segue Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, 
And there's a lot of argument about what he means by greater gifts. We're not going to get into that this morning. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. So we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and then we're going to come back and talk about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. I'm reading from an NIV up here. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels... But do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing." Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. If you have ever been near a Christian wedding, you have heard this. Um, if if you've ever had uh, a visiting speaker, this is probably statistically a high likelihood that they would have preached on this passage. It's a wonderful passage of Scripture. It's really, really, really encouraging. We're going to start at the end and we're going to work our way back um, because we need to get a couple of things, I think, out of the way of our thinking so we can see what Paul's main thought is. Um, Now, I've told you before that I am pretty squarely in the continuationist camp when it comes to spiritual gifts. So what I'm about to to talk about this morning, please hear through that filter. And again, if you are allowed to disagree with me, go back to the scriptures and read them for yourselves, all right? Let's catch up. Let's drink coffee. Let's let's talk through it. Let's seek the scriptures together. There is a teaching that... um, one of the ways that we know that these gifts or, or these charisms or these extensions of the grace of God um, in the Holy Spirit have come to an end is that Paul foreshadows it through this passage of Scripture. Um, and particularly where it says here that where there are prophecies, they'll cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For now we know in part and we prophesy in part. And I don't want to set up a straw man kind of argument here. But there is a teaching that says, when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And when the scriptures were completed, all of these other things that are partial 
or if we look in verse 11, all of these things that are actually a bit more childlike, things like prophecy, um, things like speaking in tongues, these things were put aside because we actually have completeness now in the Scriptures. And this is... This has been a very strong teaching, particularly in, in the Southern Baptist Convention in America, uh, amongst other denominations. Now, this is a relatively recent teaching. Um, this has only been around for about 150, 200 years. And when we have 2,000 years of discussion, it's a relatively recent conversation. And I, I've, I've heard this. Maybe you've heard this teaching before. Um, maybe you have received this um, as, as well as me. Part of the reason that I think we need to look at this passage of Scripture, again, there's a few issues that that I have with that, and I'm just going to put them out there for us to have a think about. Okay. The, The first is this. When we give someone a Bible... If we, if we had a brand new Christian and we gave them a Bible and then they got cut off from, from the rest of discussion, it is not a conclusion that that person would arrive at from the plain reading of Scripture. It is an experiential and taught understanding or belief or doctrine. When we don't experience something of the Spirit and we feel that we should or there's an implication that we're, we're missing out or, or that something hasn't happened, we often go back to the Scriptures going, am I doing something wrong? Am I missing out? Have I failed to understand something? And this is one of the ways that we have arrived at this particular teaching. When we have a look at countries which are experiencing things like speaking in tongues and and interpretation of tongues and the prophetic, and these things are normal parts of Christianity, they've never arrived at this conclusion, this cessationist basis coming from this passage of Scripture. So the first issue which I have with that particular position is that it does not arrive from the plain reading of Scripture. It's something that we need to get taught, otherwise we probably wouldn't hear it. The second is this. When we have a look at verse 8, it says that prophecies will cease, and I believe that prophecies will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. I believe that tongues will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. I believe that knowledge will pass away. And at the moment, knowledge has not passed away. Knowledge is still something which is going on. Paul connects these three things together that they will actually happen in a way which is grouped together. Because what Paul is talking about here is when he sees face to face. Have a look in verse 12. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. See, in this passage, Paul is using kind of like the royal we. Verse 9, I think, is really important. Is kind of a linchpin verse in this passage. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Throughout the rest of Corinthians, when Paul has used the word we, who has he been referring to? Himself and the other apostles. Paul here is saying that he and the other apostles, we know by the time he gets to Corinthians that he has already had conversations and and even verbal altercations with Peter, with James. He has been part of, of that group. This is Paul who was knocked to the ground and there was a bright light and he encountered the exalted, glorified Christ. And he says this, we know in part, the apostles know in part, and we prophesy in part. These things are partial. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. 
What he is looking forward to is a day where even his encounter of the Lord Jesus Christ is made complete. That's the forward moment that he is reflecting about. When Paul talks about this in verse 12, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. The thing that Paul is looking forward to is not that someone is going to collate his writings. Don't get me wrong. I love the scriptures. I love the scriptures. But Paul here is looking forward to the day where he himself is face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ, which leads into point number two. This idea that we end up with when completeness comes, or depending on your translation, it might say when perfection comes, that which is imperfect disappears. The word here for completeness is literally teleos. It's the same word that's translated as someone who is fully grown. They are teleos, someone who has been made perfect, someone who, who is not a child anymore, where something has reached its final stage. When that happens, what is in part disappears. We have a challenge when it comes to this being about the closing of the canon of Scripture. First and foremost, because which canon of Scripture are we talking about? Early on in Christianity, people would get different letters from different churches. Then they would find out, oh, this person over here has a different letter. Then they would collate them and pass them around. And then there would be other ones. Later on, we find that there are things called the Gnostic Gospels, where other people would just write something pretending to be one of the apostles and write their name on it. That's why we have the Gospel of Thomas. That's why we have the Gospel of Judas, the Gospel of Mary. These things have been around and been analyzed for a long time. And we have these collections called the Apocrypha, which are mainly books which Protestants took back out of the Roman Catholic canon of Scripture. But we have this other collection called the Pseudo-Epigrapha, where people would put an epigraph, which was really a pseudoname, so they would write these letters as a fake apostle. And early on in Christianity... Debate was, was going on about what was real and what was not and how do we determine it and on what basis do we form collections. And there were multiple different collections for hundreds of years. If you pick up a Roman Catholic Bible today, it will have different books in it than we have. It has some additional history books which Protestants have removed. They're still great history books, but we have said that these are not on the same level as these other scriptures. It's the same with um, with the Orthodox Church, there's different collections between them. So when we come to this idea of perfection being the closing of the canon of Scripture, we have the practical issue, but we also have this issue where Paul says that he and the apostles only have partial knowledge. And it's a bit of an illogical thing is to go, all right, I'm going I'm to pick on Nicole. Let's say that Nicole has encountered the risen Lord Jesus in the flesh. She has met him one-on-one, -on -one, and then she writes letters to churches about it. She writes five letters to five different churches about it. And she says that her knowledge is partial, that at the moment she still only sees a reflection of Jesus. If I get her letters and say, what I have is now perfect, I'm saying that what she has is partial but because I have her letters, my understanding is now perfect. It's kind of illogical because I've still encountered less of Jesus than she has. I have the letters, but she has met him face to face, and she says her knowledge is partial, and I say I've got these letters and it's perfect. It's a bit illogical. It doesn't quite add up. 
When Paul is talking about perfection coming, he's not talking about, I believe, the scriptures coming together as much as I love them and adore them. He's talking about seeing Jesus face to face. Now, if if we are able to unplug maybe some of the things which we have been taught or which we have heard and to step back from it a little bit, to look again at this passage of Scripture with fresh eyes and to see what is it, what is the point that Paul is making. If this is not information that Paul has seeded in here about the day that the tongues and prophecy will cease, what is actually the point that Paul is making here? Paul is making a very simple point that love is not temporary. The gifts are temporary. There's going to be a day where we don't need prophecy because everyone's going to be in the presence of God. There'll be a day where God no longer needs to tap someone on the shoulder and say, hey, call my people back to their relationship with me, which is what prophets do. There's going to be a day where God doesn't need to tap someone on the shoulder and say, hey, go and tell my people what my decision is because they're not really listening to me. That's what prophets do. There'll be a day where prophecy is no longer needed. That's the day Paul looks forward to. There'll be a day where tongues and interpretation of tongues are no longer needed because Babel is undone and all people are gathered together in the presence of God. I look forward to that day, the day where tongues cease and prophecy ceases and knowledge ceases, where we don't need to do any more teaching. What a wonderful day. None of the teachers said amen. Oh, you're smiling. I saw that. Love is not temporary. This is, the, this is where Paul ends up. These three remain. These three are timeless, faith and hope and love. This is where Paul ends up. This is what he's trying to get across to the Corinthian church because they've been fixated on the gifts in an incredibly unhealthy way. Paul is saying they are not timeless. They are limited. Let's jump back a little bit. Paul talks about love. And when Paul talks about love, remember, this is the same author who has said God is love. When he is describing here what love is, he is describing what God is like. When we read 1 Corinthians 13, this is how God treats you. This is how God treats me. God is patient. God is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He does not dishonor others. He's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs, which is wonderful. You know, he has taken your sin and he has cast it over the furthest horizon. It is no longer held against you because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And he always protects and always trusts and always hopes and always perseveres and he never fails. And when his love is in us, our behavior gets transformed from the inside out. This is Paul's point to the Corinthian church, is that this is so much more valuable than us fixating on the gifts. Are the gifts good? Yes. They're wonderful. They are useful. If God gives you one, whatever it is, use it, because it's for the common good. But this is what Paul is saying. Saying, you know what, here is something that is actually of eternal value. Don't stop using your gifts, but but make sure that this is plugged in. Um, Rob, can I get you to run out and grab the kids back from Kids Church this morning, please? Thanks. Paul here is describing the identity of God. And here where he is talking about what love is, 
it should not surprise us then that he uses this word at the end, these three remain. What part of your mission and your ministry in this world do you carry with you in your mind that it is going to remain into eternity? Because the businesses that we have will not remain in eternity. Our church buildings will probably not remain in eternity. The clothing which which we spend a lot of money on or a little bit of money on is not going to remain in eternity. What about the Bible study resources which we write or we use? Will they remain in eternity? Paul here is saying these three remain, faith and hope and love. And if God has put faith or hope or love in you and you are able to take what God has done in your life and to, to let that soak into someone else, to tell the story of what God has done, to go, here is, here is how I know I can lean on him. Or here is this dark valley that he journeyed me through. Or to go, you know what? Here are these people who hurt me so deeply and yet God has given me love for them. When we are able to give that to someone else, it gets to continue unfolding into eternity. It continues bearing fruit in other people's lives into eternity. These three remain faith and hope and love. In a couple of minutes, I'm going to um, ask Ali to play this video. A number of years ago, um, looking at, at this particular passage of scripture, I got handed a resource. Um, and there's a lady who uh, lives and works in India and she rescues children out of slavery and out of sex slavery. And she has rescued, I think, more than 10,000 kids. And she's this tiny little Indian woman. Her name is Shampa Rice, which is a great name for a tiny little Indian lady. Um, and she was invited to share some of her story um, at a particular event. And she shared out of this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, talking about us actually needing to grow in love and to evaluate the way that we um, prioritize things in the life of the church and in our own life on the basis of love. So as we have a look at the first section of this passage, I'm going to read it again and then I'm going to ask Ali to play this. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Um, I'll hop back up in a minute and wrap up, but for about the next nine minutes... Um, I'd love you to listen to, to this lady, Shampa, sharing part of her story about this passage of Scripture. Um, thanks, Al. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have simply become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. How many of you know what a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal is? It's not the one that goes with a drum set. No, it's not. It's one that you actually found in orchestra, in Philharmonic orchestras. You know, 
we as a family we love uh, classical music so we are always listening to beethoven and chopin <laughs> we're always listening to tchaikovsky and my son when he was 2 years old he could hum a full orchestra like a full piece just like that by the time he was 2 because we're constantly we even worship with it yeah try it sometimes awesome so one time i was listening to the radio and and we were in colorado springs and on the radio it came that you can win two free tickets if you call a certain time you know Yes, I was praying. God, I really wanted to see that piece. It was like, oh, it's like incredible. Yes, and I won. You should have seen me. You think I won like a, you know, hundred million dollars or something? I was so excited. I was screaming and yeah, really excited. And finally, the whole orchestra came, and I had goosebumps all over. And I just, I'm looking at them, and then finally they started, and I just started weeping. I couldn't uncontrollable I couldn't stop crying it was so incredible it was that the air was permeated with with the sounds of heaven it just it just incredible mind blowing just the melody and everything all of it together 45 minutes straight they played and the gong the cymbal sounded only one time in 45 minutes what does that tell you and me it's not a very lovely sound you know so they can only play it one time in 45 minutes people can't handle it for more than one time i don't want to be like that would you then nobody can handle you for more than one time So even if you and I speak with the tongues of men and of angels even if we are you and I know about 18 different languages not the gift to speak every single language wherever whichever nation we travel to or can even know the tongues of angels means different different languages what I do not understand it but I speak it during prayer or during sharing because I've had friends who have spoken in perfect english and doesn't know a word of english can't read can't write and they worship and praise god in perfect english during prayer even if i do that in the eyes of heaven if i do not have love i simply are just a big old noise that is not very attractive and though i have the gift of prophecy and can understand all mysteries and all knowledge in other words even if i was like elijah and understood all mysteries even if i i was like daniel and had all knowledge like solomon and could move mountains so much faith like moses I have impressed nobody maybe people but not heaven heaven is unimpressed if i do not have love i am simply nothing just nothing 
and though I bestow all goods to the poor and even burn my body as a display of my godliness. In other words, even if I was like Mother Teresa, I grew up across the street from Mother Teresa. All my life I have watched this woman. From the time I was this little, we would run across the street and grab her legs. And you know what I remember from grabbing her legs is looking at her feet. And she had these large pancake-sized feet. <laughs> yes, she did. And you know, kids can be really cruel. You know, like kids can be really, upper, you know, just like outward. I mean, they're, they're not going to like, you know, sugarcoat their words or anything. So we would laugh at her feet and say, why did she have big feet? And she would just smile, you know. Forever she was always wrinkled. She was never not wrinkled. <laughs> so to me, she was... You know, all my life, she was the same face. She didn't change. And we would look at her feet and laugh and say, why is your feet like so huge and so pancake The thing is, she would walk bare feet. She never wore slippers. You know that. She never, never did. So we wanted to copy her, so we also didn't wear shoes until we got beaten, you know, smacked around and then... We started wearing shoes, but we didn't wear shoes because we wanted to copy her from a little child. But when I was 13, I, I, I really had this brilliant idea that, you know, I wanted to go and join her order because, you know, I just wanted to be like her, right? So I was planning on running away. Now, when you join the order of a sister, you know, the sisters, um, once you go inside their, their compound, you know, the compound where... The, the mothers, the, I mean, mother, sisters, all, all of them are. Once you're inside, nobody can really get you out, you know that. If you sign your name and everything, it doesn't matter, you're 13, but you wanted to join the order, so really your parents have nothing to do with it. I mean, they really cannot take you out. So I was planning on doing that because I really wanted to be um, copying her. But, you know, when you have a, a mom uh, who's sort of a, really all-seeing and everything, you know, all-knowing. Uh, she, well, God told her. So she didn't scold me. She just came, you know, quietly and looked at me and said, you know, Shampa, you don't have to run away in order to answer the call of God on your life. And I looked at her and said, what, what are you talking about? And she said, it's all right, sweetheart. And I just started weeping. I said, well, Mom, I, I really want to be like her. And she said, Shampa, I, I know that. I know your heart. But you don't understand. You have something. Something a bit different than Mother Teresa. God will help you do what she does. But you see, sweetheart, as you walk with Christ, Christ will show you where she left off. You can pick up. You see? So it's not what we do in life here. It's what are we leaving behind. When we learn to love, we will leave behind. When we embrace and pursue love, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Christ said, pursue love, pursue gifts. He didn't. He said, pursue love, desire all gifts. Where does the desire come from? From the soul. 
Pursuing love will come from your own will. You will have to be consciously, a conscious effort has to be put in to pursue love. It has to come from I want to, so I will. Or I don't want to, so I won't. Let's pursue love, shall we? More than you and I can ever dream of pursuing anything else. Let's make love that escape. Then only we have hope. It's a... Um, I think it is a timely reminder as we're having a look at Corinthians, and particularly as we're going to be going into chapter 14, um, looking at some more specifics around the way that gifts can be used. I've had a number of people since we've started the Corinthian series come and chat to me and go, Bob, how do I know what what gifting the Holy Spirit may have put in me or, or maybe working through me? And we can we can continue having those conversations. That's what the elders are here to do. But I think it's worth us remembering one is eternal and one is temporary. And even if there is an amazing giftedness which the Lord gives any one of us, it is his love which outranks all of these things. And as, as we just heard, love is an act of the will. Sometimes it's, it's tempting to go, you know what, the, the Lord hasn't given me a gift or not one that I've expected or, or not one that I understand or, or I feel like I'm not gifted at anything, so I'm just going to sit back on the bench and not do anything. But the primary tool that we have is the love of God, and that is something that we choose. That is something that every one of us has the same access to. It is something that every one of us can take hold of and apply in our life and in the body of Christ. Paul's one point throughout this whole passage that we've been looking at in chapter 13 is this, is that love is the more excellent way. I'm going to pray and then we're going to do one more song this morning. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we do thank you that your spirit at work in us continues manifesting acts of your grace and your mercy. These charisms, these grace gifts that extend your kingdom into us and through us. But Lord God, help us to keep them in perspective. Let us lay hold of your great love, not just for us, but let us be a conduit of your great love, extending it into the, the room where we find ourselves, the conversation that we have. Lord God, would this, would this town, would this district, would our co-workers, would our peers encounter your radical missionary love? Would they encounter that love which has come looking for them the way you have come looking for us? As you love us, as we've just read about, as you love us, would we love others? Would we become extensions of your kindness, of your mercy, of your grace, of your trust? Would we become extensions of you that don't keep a record of wrong? Lord Jesus, for those of us who, who really wrestle 
with this idea of, of extending your love to others because we ourselves feel like we are not lovable or we question your love for us. Lord God, please speak to us this morning. Please reach deep down into our heart and whatever the lie is that we are believing, whatever we are holding on to that prevents us from really being embraced by your love, that love that you gave your life to extend to us. Lord God, help us to know what that thing is in the way and help us to release it and let go of it. Help us to give our lives fully over to you, even where we are afraid, even where we feel unlovable. Lord God, help us to let our guard down and to let you in. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your love.